The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. ever thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with, while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. everybody, this is Jonathan Brower. My show is called Human Behavior, What a Trip. And we're going to have a wonderful trip today with, with Dr. Stem. She has a long name, but she likes to be called Dr. Stem, which works out just fine. She's a motivational empowerment speaker. She's on radio and TV personality. She's an employee assistant, of corporate trainer, Inspirational speaker, author, psychotherapist, life coach, life, excuse me, life career coach. So welcome to the show, Dr. Stem. Welcome, doctor. Thank you for having me on your show today. You're very welcome, man. You can just call me Jonathan. That's easier than doctor or Dr. Brower. Excellent. Okay. So, um, the way I like to start off my shows with my guests is to, uh, have a little thumbnail sketch of how you were as a little girl where you lived, what did you do, and how did you end up becoming a psychologist and a motivational speaker and all that? Wow, mine is going to be interesting uh, because I was born and raised in Zimbabwe. Yes. And uh, you were going to say something. Yeah, and um, uh, what's your very earliest memory you have in your early life? Do you have one that stands out? Wanting to be a doctor. Ah, and what age were you when you had this idea you wanted to be a doctor? I think I was about six because I started school at seven years old. I think I started talking about it around age six when everybody starts to ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said I wanted to be a doctor. And when you were this little girl who wanted to be a doctor, um, what about being a doctor seemed... Uh, good for you or exciting for you? Honestly, being in Africa, it was one of those, the, the lawyer, the doctors were the most prestigious people that we grew up seeing, and almost every kid wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, if you ask us. So part of it was just going with the flow of what everybody else wanted to be, because I was actually talking about it on my show today, that it's interesting, because what happened was, I didn't specify what kind of a doctor I wanted to be. I just said I wanted to be a doctor and uh-huh. ended up, you know, being a PhD doctor that was not an MD. Yes. I see. And then um, when you were the little girl, what kinds of things did you like to do as a kid? What, what, what was fun for you to do? I talked a lot. I, I was one uh-huh. to that. Yeah, I, I did. I was a very, very social and wanted to be the one that's the lead, talking to the other kids, playing the games. I wanted to be in the lead. So it doesn't surprise me that now I am actually do, you know, doing counseling and also doing motivational and inspirational speaking engagements around the world. Yeah, so, so you get to go around the world and speak and enjoy visiting with people. And so uh, from your age of six or so on, this became a real important and gratifying thing for you. It, it did. And I'm the firstborn of seven, John. And part of why I am who I am today is because as the firstborn, I was always told that I needed to set an example. 
And being an example, I needed to do something that my siblings would be able to say, oh, my God, she did something. She actually accomplished something. That way they would also do, you know, something that was um, to be termed accomplishment by my parents. So there was a lot of pressure. So so there was some pressure, you said, for you to set an example? Yeah, yeah. there was a lot of pressure. And where were you in the uh, birth order? I'm, I'm the first one. I'm the oldest. I see. So you have the most responsibility. Yes. Yeah. And and how many children were there in the family? There's seven children, two boys, and five girls. I see. And uh, how did the how did all of you kids get along? Okay. We get along. We we have we have you know a few, but we get along very well. And all seven of us are here in the United States. I see. And are your parents still in Zimbabwe? My dad is in Zimbabwe. My mom is up here visiting right now. She's here in Boston with me visiting. Oh, how wonderful. Yes. Yes. So um, how do you classify your parents? What were they like, in, in, in essence, for you? How would I classify my parents? Very hardworking. Uh-huh. Very determined and um, encouraging parents that were great role models, I might add. Uh-huh. And very supportive, very supportive in whatever we wanted to do. Because I remember when we were back home, the challenge for most people that have children, if you have mostly girls, is that the the girls get married at, you know, 16, 17, they're getting married. And my parents were afraid that if we did that, then that would be the end of our lives if we got married that early. So they encouraged us to go to school. Good. So in addition to being supportive, I'm getting a sense that your parents were also very Loving towards you kids. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's really, that's very important. So, yes. so, it, so it sounds like, um, you had, uh, very good, um, attachment bonds with your, with your parents. It, it, it was, but you know, when I was preparing for your show and I, I saw that the topic of the show, human behavior, what a trip. I yes. started laughing because then, you know, when you say your parents were supportive, as a child, I'm remembering thinking, oh, they're mean. They're not allowing us to do this. Even as teenagers, you want to do what you want to do and you want to be who you want to be. And if they try to redirect you and, you know, try to discipline you, then they were mean. And I think that's the trip that, you know, probably I was taking as part of my growing up. Yes. But overall, it sounds like they loved you a lot and they wanted to... uh have you grow up in a safe way? Yes. And of course, there had to be some kind of conflicts once in a while with your parents. But overall, it sounds like you lucked out with really good parents. Yes. 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 Yeah, that's a wonderful way to start. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, um, so when you were finished with high school, is that what it's called in Zimbabwe High School? Yes. Yeah. It's actually, no, it's not high school. It's secondary school. Okay. Right. Okay. And then after secondary school. You went to the university in Zimbabwe? No, I came here. I see. And how old were you when you came to the United States? I was 18 years old. I see. And you yes. were coming all by yourself? I came, no, I, I didn't come by myself. I applied uh, for college and went to Rapid City, South Dakota. That's where I was um, accepted at a little college called National College. Yeah. And my father actually accompanied me and flew from Zimbabwe to Rapid City, South Dakota with me so that he could see what the college was about. He also wanted to be able to get on the plane and, you know, see what the United States was about because he had never been here. My parents had never been here. And uh-huh. he was afraid to just send us to a country where he wasn't sure what the place was like. So he came with me. Good. Yeah. And then uh, after a while, he went back and then you stayed in the United States, right? He came with me. It's funny, John. Let me tell you what he did. We yeah. came in and we didn't realize that it was uh, actually, we came in two weeks before school opened. So when we got to the school, it was literally deserted. So we uh-huh. called the school and, um, you know, the secretary that answered said, actually, the students will be there in two, in two weeks. They're starting in two weeks, but we can come and open up, uh, the residential, you know, where you're, the child will be staying and she can stay there, will provide food for her until the other students came. And he said, no, I'll take her back to Zimbabwe and I'll send her back when the two weeks is up so that she can be here when the other students are here. I just wanted to see the place. So he took me back home. Oh, really? Yeah. 
he took you back to Zimbabwe. Wow. So and I then, looked back to there and I thought, oh my God, that was a lot of money to be spending to go there. But that's the kind of parents that I had. He yeah. wouldn't let me, you know, say, let me stay here by myself on campus. I see. And then two weeks later, you came back to the United States? Two weeks later, I came back. So, of course, I was detained at the immigration because they thought, well, what are you doing? You just yes. came here two weeks ago and now you're coming back. Who are you? I was detained for about six hours at the airport in New York. Yes. Uh, being questioned on why I was doing this, and honestly, it sounded crazy, but that's how my dad had, you know, done it. So they called the school to verify and confirm, and they said yes. She came with her dad, and he didn't want her to stay here by herself. Yeah. So it sounded like for a while, uh, the uh, authorities thought you, maybe you were smuggling something. <laughs> <laughs> but but in fact, you were smuggling something. You were smuggling knowledge. I, I don't know. I was smuggling something. Oh, I came in because when I came in, the taste, the taste of the food here in America was different from the taste um, of food in Zimbabwe. Oh, I'm so sure. I actually had some chicken and some rice made for me to carry here because I thought, I'll, you know, for two weeks at least or three, I would refrigerate it and eat a little bit at a time. That way I can have the taste from home. So that yes. was the first thing they took and threw out in the trash. And they said, you cannot bring food in the country. I, I see. <laughs> so that's so, what I was so, smuggling in. So did you get used to the to the American the American diet after a short amount of time? You, you know, you, you get acclimated to anything because probably, the reason why I came here was for education. So everything yes. else I knew I had to work with and be able to get used to it. Otherwise, I was not going to be able to survive if I didn't do that. Yes. And uh, did you learn to speak English when you were a child in Zimbabwe? I was one of the lucky few, yes. I did go to what they call multiracial schools. Uh huh. So I did learn to speak English and I was still in Zimbabwe. I see. Yes. So you speak very good English at this point, obviously. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and you have, I like your accent too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I yes. appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, so you went to school and then you went to graduate school. So I, when I was at National College, I only went there for one year because my parents could not afford to pay for the tuition for me to stay at that school. And yes. I had a friend of mine that I had gone to school with that was living in the Boston area in in an area we call Lower Mass. And she was uh-huh. working in a nursing home as a nurse's aide. So after one year in Rapid City, I transferred to come to Boston so that I could work in the nursing home as a nurse's aide. That way I could pay for my school. Otherwise, the other option was to go back home. Yes. Well, you were very determined to, to, to get what you wanted. Yes. So you, you weren't going to be going back home. You were busy. No, no not at all. Because the yeah. opportunity to get away, the, the minute they, they stamp your, your passport with a visa to say you can go to the United States of America is an opportunity of a lifetime. Yes. And everyone yeah. is waiting in line for days, months, and years to get. So once I got it, I knew I had to make the most of it. And that's one of the, re- the reasons why I go out and speak to people, to, you know, people that are natives of the United States or that are foreigners coming in that we have an opportunity like no other that third world country, you know, countries and people in there are striving to take a place, you know, of someone who doesn't want to do anything with their life. Yes. So um, we're coming up on a break. We're going to have two commercial breaks. The first one is going to start just about now. And we'll come back in a minute or two and continue our visit. Thank you. Okay. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. 
That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower. We're back to Human Behavior, What a Trip with my guest, Dr. Stem. And um, when we left off, Dr. Stem, we were talking about um, uh, you wanting to be a, to be a psychologist and to uh, be able to help people in, in various ways. And before we go on, let me tell people uh, your website is in case I want to check it out. I looked that up this morning. It's very impressive. So Dr. Stem's website is www.globalcounselingcoaching.com. And uh, for some reason, I'm getting another phone ring here. So again, it's www.globalcounselingcoaching.com. And uh, her website is very good. You'll like it a lot. Okay, Dr. Stem, let's get back to... Uh, you, so um, you eventually went to graduate school and you became a psychologist. Is that correct? Let me, let me go back just a little bit, John, on, on why I became a psychologist and how I got to do what I came. I that's came good. To yeah, that's good. Country. Do that. That's good. Yeah. When yeah. I came to this country, my parents wanted me to do a degree in computer science because I came in the early 80s, and at that time, people were getting computer degrees. It was the in-thing computer. So they sent me here and said, go and get a computer degree. So here I come here. One, I don't enjoy, you know, computers. I don't even like to do, you know, anything to do with computers. And I didn't know what I would do with a degree in computers in the first place. So what happened was I was working in a nursing home. I had moved from Rapid City, South Dakota, and now I was working in a nursing home. Uh-huh. I enjoyed being a nurse's aide, but I knew for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, I did not want to be a nurse because everybody else was tending to be a nurse, and I didn't want to be that. Yes. So the way that I ended up um, in, in the mental health field is I received one um, special lady. She's a special lady. You know, She's passed on now that came as a resident into the nursing home. She was brought in by her son and her daughter who were in tears. They were adult children that came in in tears pushing a wheelchair into the nursing home because their mother did not want to come into the nursing home. And yes. I received them, you know, to come in. And I remember welcoming them and talking to, you know, to the patient and talking to their son and the daughter, reassuring them that would provide good care for their mom and that the mom would be okay because we were going to make it homely for her. And I made it a point that I was going back to the room even if I wasn't assigned to take care of her. So she's the same person that asked me one day and said, listen, I know you're from Zimbabwe. What are you doing in school? And I said, I'm doing computer science. And Uh she looked me in the face and she said, you are not a computer person. And I looked at her now, you know, in shock. And I said, what do you mean I'm not a computer person? She says, you know, the way that you received me and my children and you made us so comfortable and made it so homely and peaceful for me to be here as well as my kids to be reassured that I was going to be okay? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, that's social work. You are a social worker. Yes. So my first degree, I remember, you know, just feeling like, okay, what is a social worker? And I was excited because it was something that didn't have anything to do with the computers. Yes. Every nursing home, they have a social worker. And the social workers in this nursing home where I was, she dressed in suits and heels and was always, you know, very smart. I thought she was the, you know, uh, executive director or something. I didn't know what role she did, but I admired that lady. So I asked. 
I asked her, I said, is there anyone that I can talk to about this social work business? Because in Zimbabwe, a social worker does family planning with families and gives them, you know, advice on not to have too many children and, you know, how to take care of themselves. So it's a very low-paid job as a yes. social worker. Yeah. And she pointed to that lady and said, she's a social worker. I knew without even talking to her that I wanted to be a social worker because I had always admired the work that she did. Yes. Needless to say, I ended up going to Boston University where I did my bachelor's and um, master's degrees in social work before I went to do my doctorate degree. I see. So um, this is actually a beautiful story that this woman uh, saw you as what you really were, not what you were supposed to be by someone else's standards. And and she was very sweet and caring for you. Yes. Isn't it amazing that most people are looking in their lives today and want to know what it is that they're passionate about, what it is that they were created to do, and yes. they're finding it difficult to realize or to find what that is. And most of the time I say to people, it's right under your nose, it's right under you, whereas if you just relax enough and open your mind and eyes to hear and see what is around you, that passion might be right there. It's something that you enjoy doing. It's yes. something that you love doing. Yes. By the way, I, I agree with you. I'm not uh, all that keen on computers either. <laughs> but I have to put right? up with it. To, say, to some degree, I have to put up with it. So uh, so you became a uh, psychologist. Yes. And then, then you started apparently uh, uh, branching out because you do a lot of different things. I, I do a lot of different things because I I felt like, be, you know, beyond the treatment, once somebody is diagnosed with a mental health, you know, um, problem, anxiety, depression, attention deficit, whatever it is, and they get medication and they get a therapist, they needed to be something else in addition uh -huh. to that. I call it beyond treatment, uh -huh. which means I thought they would do with some help of motivation where they're motivated to get better. They're motivated to get out of, you know, this anxiety that has been probably crippling them in whatever they were doing or depression or whatever it is that they're diagnosed with. Because yes. most of the time people didn't have that enthusiasm of wanting to get out. They didn't have that passion. They didn't see themselves out of, you know, the norm of having the disease. Yes. Yes. So... um you uh, work quite a bit with adolescents, is that correct? Oh, 90% of my clientele is adolescents. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, bas I basically, for, basically from 13 to 20 or so? Yes, that's it. Yeah. And um, I assume you enjoy the work. Enjoy is not even the word, John. I love the work. Oh, okay. Love is even better. So you love it. Because, because I work, I work with big adolescents. You know, when you get referred in adolescents, I'm sure you've seen that in your practice. Yes. You refer the adolescent as the client and you end up working with the parents who are the big, big teenagers and big adolescents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, uh, and where do you do the work with them? Do you have a particular office in, uh, in somewhere in Boston now? Where, are you, where do you live now? Yes, I actually have a private practice. I'm outside the Boston area. I'm in the area they call the North Shore area. My uh -huh. office is in Salem, Mass., which is the witch city. That's where we have the big Halloween parties. Yes. And yeah. that's where my main office is. I also have a satellite office, which is based in the local high school at Salem High School, so that I can work with the teenagers unlimited entry to my office uh -huh. in the high school. And when you're working with your adolescents, uh, is it uh, with just one person at a time, or do you do groups? How do you do it? I do individual, which is the one person at a time. I also do groups. And I also do family work because I believe that having the whole, you know, dynamic where I can work with them in groups and in families as well as individuals will help them, you know, become the best that they can be. Yes. Yes. So, so it's a holistic um, approach. Yeah. And uh, I would imagine that some of the uh, parents of these kids that you're working with, the parents are not necessarily helping the problem at times they're, they're making it harder 
and that's why that's why it, it's so important that we include them in the treatment because part of uh, the problems that the teenagers have stem from the parents themselves in in the home and you know they're doing their best they're doing their best and in doing so sometimes they don't have the tools to be able to support their teenagers and everybody ends up getting stressed out yes yeah so when you're working with these teenagers um, what do you find to be the most common kinds of problems they present to you? There are no more problems like the anger management problem that most of these kids that come to me have. Um, I also have um, quite a few that have the diagnosis of depression and anxiety. But I find that most of uh, the clientele, their problems is adjustment. They, they, they have an adjustment uh, problem. What do I mean by adjustment? That means parents are getting a divorce and they're having a difficult adjusting to the divorce. I or see, parents yes. have had a divorce already, yeah, and, you know, it affected them or they moved from one area to another. Yes. And also being adolescents, as you know, the hormones are changing, things are changing, the peers are changing, they're starting to date. So those normal things, you know, that become abnormal to them are some of the things that they bring to me and I work with them to be able to normalize them and help them cope with the different phases of their lives. Yeah. So um, typically, what's the spectrum of how long you'll be working with one individual? What, like anywhere from, what, six sessions to 20 sessions? Or how does it work for you? It varies. It varies. I have um, some that, you know, within a semester, which is which is more than six weeks, I'll, I'll go through the whole term with them. Uh-huh. So, so that, you know, I start with them at the beginning of the term and, and, and then at the end of the term when I see that report card and I see that they have improved their grades, I meet with the families, the relationships at home have, you know, improved then it's a whole spectrum of the goals that we set that I will be able to discharge them. So some of them are long-term. They start uh-huh. off as freshmen and end up, you know, by the time that they leave, still coming to me. The advantage is I'm also a life coach and a career coach. Uh-huh. So at some point, once we finish with the mental health, I get to see them at a sliding fee scale just for coaching. I see. Yes, so that I can keep talking to them uh, for the rest of the school year that they have, school years that they have until they transition into college. Yes. Yeah. So, um, in your part of your bio that I have, yeah, you talk about uh, uh, some some kinds of questions you get from people. One of them is, for example, how should I approach my teen if I find alcohol and marijuana in his bedroom, <laughs> and he is denying. So uh, just, what would your approach be there? I just was asked that question. Uh, somebody wrote to me, you know, with that question of, you know, yeah. what, what should I what should I do when they when they find the marijuana in, in their pockets? So the first question that I had for that parent was, you know, was the teen present when you searched their, their pocket? Did you get yeah. permission to go through their pockets? And I know they looked at me like I had 20 heads. What, what are you, why are you asking me that? Because I had permission to search through their pockets in the house whenever I want to, and I can do that whether they're there or not. And I felt like that was the first mistake. Because once you do that, one, there's no trust with your adolescent. And yes. two, most likely, it's, you know, it is theirs and they are smoking, but we don't know whether it was the first time that they were experimenting with that and they decided, you know what, I'm not going to smoke it, I'm just going to leave it in my pocket so my friends cannot see that I didn't even smoke it, uh-huh. that way I don't embarrass myself. So there are many ways that they could explain that rather than us jumping into conclusion that now you're using drugs because I found it in your pocket. Yes. So I would, I would assume some of the students you work with some of the adolescents you work with, do use marijuana? A lot. Yeah. A lot of them tell me that they have experimented and now they don't use anymore. I don't believe that. Yes. Because then there are signs of, you know, their behaviors and their actions that tells me that they are still actively using. So what I do, which is different from the parents, is I build rapport with them where they can trust me and I can trust them. Yes. So that we can work on, you know, stopping to use these drugs because, you know, research does show that 
sometimes some people will start off as small as a cigarette and then get into marijuana and then get into the high drugs, the cocaine, the heroin. And once you get to that point and you're addicted, it's very difficult to address and stop. Yeah. However, I, I agree with everything you said, but also uh, some people use marijuana way too much and um, they don't go to the, they don't they don't go to higher drugs, but they're still a bad, bad thing for them. It's, it messes up their brain. It's an argument. I agree with you. It's an yeah. argument that I think as clinicians, sometimes we tend to lose that argument because then they say, well, my father is smoking and my mother is smoking, so I don't see any reason why I should not smoke. And, you know, I've had to consult with other clinicians on how they have been able to approach yeah. that because that always, you know, stunts me when a kid says, well, what are you talking about because my mom smokes and my dad smokes? And now, when you say that when the it. parents are smoking, are they talk you're talking about... Marijuana or just regular cigarettes? Marijuana. Okay. And they are actually yeah. smoking with the kids. Yeah, I, th I find that really terrible. I find that, you know, terrible. So, you know, yeah. I can get that upset. So I've yeah. had to work with the parents as well so that they can see, you know, why we say it's bad. And that's why the groups are helpful for me to be able to put them in groups where they can talk with people that probably have had incidences that happened due to their use of marijuana or other drugs that they can share with the other parents to, so that they can be enlightened on why it's not good for them to smoke yeah. or even share with their kids. Yes, I agree. So um, another big issue for adolescents has to do with sexuality, of course. Yes. And uh, on this bio here, you, um, mom, is, here's a little uh, one. Mom refuses getting me protection if something ever goes wrong. What are some alternatives for me? She doesn't think I'm ready for sex, but I need to know so I am prepared. So what do you do about that? I, I tell I tell these teenagers that Unfortunately, mother knows best. She does. Uh -huh. She actually knows when you're ready and when you're not ready. And as difficult as it is to hear mom saying you're not ready for sex, she knows what's best for you. However, I'm also encouraging the parents to be open because these kids are actually having sex as early as age 11 years old, which to me, I, I was shocked. The first time yes. that I heard that, I've been in the profession now for 19 years working with adolescents, and I'm not surprised anymore, but it's good to share with the parents to say, honestly, I, it could be yours, I'm not sure, but the are is starting at 11 years old, and I think it's, it's good when they can actually come to you and say, well, teach me what to do and show me what to do just in case yes. it happens, because most likely they haven't had sex, but they want to know. Yes, well, wanting to know is fine. Having it so really is not it's not okay. We're going to take another quick break. We'll come back in a minute or so. Real life solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. 
SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. Back to Human Behavior. What a trip. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Dr. Stem. And I want to give you her website again. Her website is www.globalcounselingcoaching.com. She's got a wonderful website, and you can learn more about her that way. And Dr. Stem, do you want to give people a phone number if they want to call you? Yes. My phone number is 781 1602. Okay, so people can call Dr. Stem at area code 781-250-1602. It's actually 781-254-1602. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me say it. So this is the correct way, guys and gals. Area code 781-254-1602. Correct. And you can hook up with Dr. Stem. So, um, Dr. Stem, you you have written uh, several books, I think three or four, of, and then you've co-authored parts of other books. Yes. So, um, uh, do you have a do you have a particular favorite of all the books you've written? Ah, uh, I've written. Oh, my favorite, of course, is Beyond the Tears, which is my biography. It's my life story. I see. And how long ago was it that you wrote that book? It was released this last year in 2012. It was released in July of 2012. Oh, cool. So um, did you enjoy writing the book? I enjoyed writing the book because what I realized is people learn the most when you tell your story. Yes. And that's what makes my life easier and my work easier because then when I tell my story, people can relate to it. And when they relate to it, they find hope in it. Actually, my name, which you mentioned to say I have a long name, my full name is Stembile. Stembile? Yes. And Stembile means hope. Aha. Yes. So in the work that I do, I call myself and what people have called me the voice of hope. The Voice of Hope, that sounds very nice. Yes. So I'll just tell you very briefly, for me, when I was a kid starting around the age of 10 or 11, I started. I began to read a lot of uh, biographies. Oh. And uh, I couldn't get enough. So, uh, um, so what happened is I, I realized later on when I was in my late teens – that I was reading all these books about other people to get a sense of what other people were like in their families compared to me and with my family. Yes. And it was very useful. So I would imagine uh, a lot of people would enjoy reading your book, Beyond the Years. Yes, and and I wrote, I wrote Beyond the Tears. Excuse me, Beyond, Beyond the Tears, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, the subtitle says, Bruised but Not Broken. A story yes. of hope and encouragement. Yes, and there are some some huge uh, examples of uh, being very bruised or even terribly beaten, but still come out in the end with hope and encouragement. Yes, yes, yeah. And you know what? What was really quite interesting was when I came up with the title because my mother used to, when when she raised us all seven of us, we were very very poor in Africa in Zimbabwe. And I remember coming back from school and we don't have any food. And she used to say a prayer when we come back. And she always used to say, you know, God, let my tears and my suffering and struggles be a blessing to my children. Uh huh. 
So, I, you know, there were tears surrounding that, that my tears and blessings be a blessing to my children. So I thought, you know, we've grown up, we have this great opportunity of being in the United States of America. Why not start living beyond the tears? Yes. Yes. So basically, you, as far as I can tell, you take a very uh, proactive position that you're going to do everything you can to be as uh, positive and as happy as you can be. And leave the rest of the universe to God, to Buddha, to whoever the higher power is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, when you were writing your book, Beyond the Tears, were you aware of having very strong emotional feelings inside you as you were going through the, the, the story? The best part of um, you know our lives is when you are a therapist and you realize how good it is for other people to be able to go through therapy and talk about their problems. You tend to want to use it as well, and I did use a therapist. I did see a therapist that I was talking to to help me through the emotions because then everything became raw again. I see. You know how to deal with them. So as I was writing, I needed to talk to someone and say, this is the way that I'm feeling so that at least I can you know, let go, normalize it, but to find a place to put them rather than carry them with me. Yes. Yeah. So another book of yours that I, I like the title of is uh, How to Survive When Your Ship is Sinking. Yeah. And, Weathering um, Life Storms. Pardon me? Weathering Life Storms, How to Overcome the Life Storms That Might Come Your Way. Yes, and of course, uh, The Ship Sinking is a wonderful metaphor and uh, some people actually do end up sinking and they end up dying sinking, but hopefully the majority of us can come to a better place. And I think we, we have, a lot of people don't realize how much power they have of steering that ship before it sinks. Yes, they take the, uh, they take the position that they're powerless and they can't do anything. And, and to, helpless, yes. Yeah, but they can, many of them can. And many of them need help getting there. Which brings me to what you say, John. I know we discussed this at, at the break when you say on your website, which is very impressive as well, you say we all have had some degree of emotional pain during our lives, but we don't have to let it cause us to suffer. And to me, what that meant is that is if you take the initiative to be able to steer your own ship, to be able to find the strength to wither those life storms, that are happening to you now or that occurred in your childhood and find yes. it in you to overcome it so that you don't have to suffer. Yes. Uh, one other thing I'll mention, because you, you brought it up on, with my website, um, the way I look at it is, well, many people who have had trauma, yes. they, they think that they're emotionally crippled because of the trauma that took place. But the way I view it is... Um, the, the the trauma wasn't the abuse. I mean, that, the abuse wasn't what was keeping them crippled. What was keeping them crippled is at the times when they were being uh, abused, hurt in various ways, they had retaliatory rage towards the people who they loved who were hurting them. And they pushed those feelings down. So what keeps people emotionally crippled is not the actual trauma, but the feelings and emotions they had during the trauma that they keep pushing down. And so when I when you talk when we talk about your book how to survive when your ship is sinking um, we we literally or metaphorically really uh, are sinking when we try to avoid being aware of our feelings and impulses. That's what keeps us sane. Yeah. And keeps us healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have another book that has a great time and a great title. It's time to shift from fear to faith. And I'm curious to, when you say faith, faith in what kind of entity or thing would you call faith regarding? Faith is that I, I put faith in there because you know I just wanted it to rhyme fear, faith. But what I'm actually talking about is when you know you have the courage to yes. shift yourself and change your life and do something different so that you can have a different result in your in, in your life. I was giving back the responsibility to each individual to look at themselves and say, what can I do to make my life better? 
What can I do to change my life, to change the things that are not working in my life right now? That's why I was saying to you, after the treatment, you get the diagnosis, you get the, the treatment. Now it's time to get over and say, okay, I'm getting treated there. What should I do in order to enhance my life? Yes. Yeah, what happened to me? Yeah. So in another book of yours, or a book you at least uh, contributed to, The Power of God. And um, what happens for people who aren't sure if there's a God or some people think there isn't a God? How would those people be able to get help if they can't do it with the image of God? That, that book, I'm, I'm actually a, a co-author on that book, and, uh-huh. and the title was um, selected by the Professional Woman Network. Yeah. But what I wrote in, in my chapter was, let God be what it is that you believe in, whether it's a higher power, it's a spirit, it's an angel, it's the universe, whatever it is, that there is another power that you can tap into, which is the inner strength that people yes. have that you can tap into to help you get the strength to become who you want to become, to do the things that you thought impossible in your life. Yes. And yeah, and then I was, as you were speaking about this, it occurred to me, I had a patient many years ago yes. who was this uh, brilliant man, and he was a very nice fellow. He had a terrible father. His father was extremely abusive mm-hmm. and would hit him hard and you know, break bones for this kid. Um and then when he was an adult, he ended up being in um, uh, in Japan for a while. And he met this woman who, uh, who uh, grew Brussels sprouts. And he, she was called the Brussels sprout lady for him. And she was the first human being that was really kind and caring for him like a, a parent figure. And... Uh, so one could say that, you know, God brought that person to her. Yeah. But a lot of people can end up helping other people just by being kind to these people. It's actually very simple to help people often. And, and that's why I, you're right. And that's why I was saying, too, at the beginning that we need to be open to life. We need to be open to opportunities. Because you never know who's going to be brought into your life, what opportunity will come into your life, who you're going to get, you know, to be a blessing or some, you know, um, some help too yes. in your life. Yes. So, so the example again is the woman who came into the uh, nursing home. Yes. She was telling you how you should be a a um, social worker. Yeah, thank you, a social worker rather than a. A computer person. Yeah, so we come across these people all the time. And a lot of times we dismiss these people and we don't, we don't take time for them or whatever reason, but, uh, we can use people in a very comfortable way and help them and they can help us. You're right. In, especially in my book, Beyond the Tears, I do dedicate a chapter that I call Angels Along the Way. Which, which I list a lot of people that in their lives probably thought they didn't have an impact of molding me into who I became today. But every person that I have met had a small part or a big part to play in, in my life. Yes. And sometimes we, we come across people, uh, just momentarily. We might be in a supermarket waiting in line or something. We talk to them yeah. for a few minutes yeah. or less and we never see them again. But something happened during that. Uh, interaction where we have some very lovely feelings about the other person. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we shouldn't minimize that. I mean, th- those are all wonderful presents we can get. You're right. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I love to do is, uh, go to Costco. I don't, do they have Costco's in, uh, in, in Boston? They have it here. Okay. So well, they're all over the place. So, uh, <laughs> I love going to Costco on a weekend when it's, Sunday or Saturday when it's crowded. I like to go into Costco. This also works for uh, air, airports too. I go into this Costco's or the airports and I watch a lot of people and I talk to some of the people and I have just a tremendous amount of fun. I mean, for me, it's as much fun as, you know, going to the theater or even more fun. <laughs> right. And what I do at times when I finally uh, decide I need to leave, I'll generally get in the longest line. So I have that much more time to talk with people before. 
I go away. So um, there are some people who definitely in Costco and other places, they don't want to make eye contact. They don't want anything to do with you. But then some of them do. And what I found out is some of these people I've seen several, you know, many times in Costco, after a while they start warming up and then they uh, get much friendlier with me. Isn't that amazing? I yeah. always, when I leave my house in the morning, my, 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 my um, goal is to be either an inspiration, a life changer for someone, even if it's just by smiling, by saying hello, by talking to them in therapy, that I bring something into their lives that will help them to be the best that they can be and also to take something away from everybody that I meet and talk to so that I can also enhance my life. So because that's my goal, that's my wish, and that's what I go out with, I'm always amazed at the people that I meet and how they have impacted my life. Yes, they're they're all over the place. And uh, those of us who want to make contact with these people, yes. they're lucky and we're lucky that we get to have that kind of exactly. inter- interaction. I want to thank you so much for being on my show today. It was uh, wonderful getting to know you a bit. And let's stay in touch. And uh, if for any reason you ever want me to be on your show, whether last minute or otherwise, (laughs) uh, let me know and I'll be happy to reciprocate. Thank you. Thank you. And the lesson with this whole thing that happened today, John, is we always have to be ready. We need to be ready because you never know when those opportunities arise, when they come, and it's your time to shift. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You're so welcome, and thank you for that lovely last statement, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, John. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. That's our show for today. Stay tuned to next week's show, Human Behavior. What a trip. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.